We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranger Spink Basketball. And Tim, we're coming into uh, August here pretty soon in the, the doldrums of, of summer. We have the big news is uh, LeBron got a custom PS5. How you doing tonight, man? Oh, big stuff, man. I, uh, I'm on vacation. I just got out of the pool. I uh, am coming off of back-to-back horse victories by the skin of my teeth uh, against my like nine-year-old nephew um, <laughs> after he beat me yesterday, just draining like threes from out of the pool left and right. Uh, happy to be here with y'all today. Coming off of some moving uh, clips there of Tristan Thompson at the end, going through the highlight reels of uh, some of these big men. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, it's that time of year, Tom. We, we need to talk big. So like, we just have one roster spot left and, it actually kind of works out pretty well. We got some good content today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we just watched a little bit of film here on Christian Wood. Uh, we got some film on Bismack Biombo, a little bit of a reminder on winning Gabriel and uh, the eight plays Tristan Thompson had in the playoffs. Um, but mm. Tim, first, let's talk about the Lakers' current uh, big situation. Obviously got AD. Uh, we talked about him on the last pod, possibly moving, you know, into some wing minutes. So uh, we can put that in in the back burner of our minds. And then we got Jackson Hayes and Colin Castleton on a two way. So it it keeps saying it looks like they are in line to to sign a big. Um, but also Rudy Gay is available. Tim, does that change any of your? I guess that did happen recently. Yeah, that, that happened since the last time we talked. Uh, no, I, I looked at him for about 30 seconds and I said, no, thank you. I, you know, <laughs> he's been, he's been a very good player in this league. I don't think he has much. I don't think he has time left to do that at the NBA level, but, uh, you know, good on LA doing some due diligence. I will correct myself. They have two roster spots left, not one. I'm just so conditioned 
to think that they're just not going to use that second one. So it feels like they've got one, but we we could see them spend two potentially. Uh, but yeah, no, and I think Rui could potentially get some big man minutes. I wouldn't be shocked if at some point we see LA run. We we're talking about in the Discord today some yeah. like small ball like D'Lo, Christie, Vando, LeBron, Rui, or something like that, and get like super switchy and get Vando as like a role man without needing uh, like seventy eight percent of Vando's minutes last year were next to AD. At, with as a Laker, and that meant one of the two of them, or maybe both of them, were standing around spacing as the other one was in role man action. So I'd love to see more Vando uh, as as that you know Rui can space Vando could be the role man, uses short roll capability, or with some of these guys we're going to talk about today, if they can space, then you can use Vando as a role man or LeBron as a role man. So uh, you know that's another way that spacing element could factor in. But uh, sorry, getting a little sidetracked. I guess Rui could be in this conversation as well. But in terms of true bri- true bigs. AD, a rookie on a two-way, and Jackson Hayes, who has had some good time and in his four seasons, but is looking more like a reclamation project than anything at this point. All right. Well, let's reclaim him. Um, What do you want to start with? AD stuff. Uh, We talked a little bit about the minutes lineup last week. Um, and how that might look if AD were to slide down to the four, maybe start next to Jackson Hayes. We kind of had that thought experiment. So let's say he plays more at the five like he did last season. Um, Do you see them just filling in maybe one Jackson Hayes, uh, you know, slot per half, calling it a day? Or do you think they might get more creative with something else? I think that's the most like like that's the safest thing at this point and i i'll i actually have maybe a hot take i'll share later but yeah i think it's going to be 80 playing mostly center playing in the mid 30 minute per game range on average he'll go lower he'll go higher based on the game based on the opponent based on how much he's played recently in the schedule but uh, yeah 36 35 minutes per game maybe with most of it coming at center if not all of it coming at center and i think that piece really depends on who the team acquires here with this last roster spot or two if they don't get a spacer it's tough to see that working well but as we talked about on the last pod there are you know maybe health and safety reasons to play 80 at the four and just try to be okay in those minutes rather than it necessarily being the best basketball thing to do. But either way, I see him being, you know, of course the safest bet here, but he's going to be someone that is probably injured at some point, hopefully just a couple games, hopefully no games, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him miss 10 or 20 games in a year. And that's when things really get scary quick. Cause then it's like, Oh crap. Now we need Jackson Hayes and Colin Castleton to be good for us on 48 minutes in a game. And that's not somewhere I think the team would be comfortable with just yet. And that's that really makes this final acquisition or two critical because LA does not have much of a backup plan if AD does go down. And at some point, you you're like, you, you want to go into the season prepared. You need to be able to go into the year and say, hey, he's going to miss some time, but we're going to be able to fight like hell, have some decent backups, and will be good enough to be able to still be a good team. You can't just completely fall apart with your best or second best player going down like that. Yeah. I mean, they have the the Colin Castleton's kind of the break glass in case of emergency because they have some flexibility with what they can do. You know, in the, beginning of the mm-hmm. season, you know, he probably won't be up with the team 
uh, to save some days. If AD does, does go down, they can, you know, ride him uh, through those 45 days or, you know, convert him uh, or any combination, right? So, but that's a, t- a tough thing, just throwing a guy in. You're not just going to start him in with 30 minutes. Uh, I'd probably slide in Jackson Hayes to start. And then that's where you fill in maybe some of those small ball, you know, Rui, Vando, or LeBron, which we talked a little bit as a big man, you know, maybe offensively if its role changes. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there any LeBron at center uh, defensive kind of things you could see maybe in, in some of those injury minutes as well? I think – it would look more like the lineup I was talking about earlier where like Rui and LeBron are the front court and and maybe like Vando's in there as well. And LeBron can offensively kind of be maybe your your center, an on-ball center, spacing the floor, being a role man. But defensively, I, th- I would have to imagine the Lakers are going to do what they can to not stick him down low in any situations where he might need to be, you know, battling with any bigger bodies. Now, you can make the case. Hey, if he's out there, you can play teams out of being big. That was, I guess, part of the idea of some some small ball teams in the past is if you can force the other team to go small with you and they're not comfortable with that, you're in good shape. Like if LeBron playing center and let's say he's normally playing power forward defensively is facing an opposing team that then is playing a power forward at center, it's no more difficult for him than it was before uh, in terms of who he's bruising against. It's a slightly different role. You're going to be put in actions more. You're going to need to rotate crisper and be relied upon more to do that. You're going to need to you know, win on the boards even more at a higher rate. I think LA will try to avoid that when they can, but I wouldn't be surprised to see lineups run out there where on paper LeBron is the center, but you know, in the game, Rui's doing the dirty work. And then as far as like rim protecting role, there's not a lot there as far as individual skills. Um, you know, even with Jackson Hayes, I'm slightly concerned. He does it a little bit differently kind of with his, uh, his lateral quickness, but mm-hmm. what do you think they can do to, you know, cover themselves in that, those areas of rim protection without maybe having some, some of the skilled guys in that, that way. Yeah, I think that's going to be a key thing for the team, and it is for every defense. But if AD is not in the game, whether he's resting or he's hurt, you need to be able to have some room protection. I think Castleton can do some of that. I think Hayes can do some of that. But Hayes is more of a mobile big, and he, you know, it's the the idea of protect the rim by not letting the team get to the rim. And if you could stop drives early, and then you have the confidence in your guards and wings to rotate behind that ball screen hedge or trap or whatever it happens to be, you can, you know, stop the drive, take care of the roll, and then they have to make a skip pass and you recover to it. You're in good shape. It, it, I think we're going to see a bit more of that this year than last year. Last year's guard and wing por- portion of the roster really handicapped what the team could do from a scheme standpoint. And I, I think we saw the team try to at certain points in the year and it just did not go well. And that was more the roster than the coaching staff. This roster looks like it'll be able to do that. So I think that is one area where we're going to see Hayes hedging to stop a Luka ball screen. And then you're going to have to see a Rui or a LeBron or a Vando or who or a Reddish or whoever, you know, tag a role man. And then another, you know, defending player, help that helper. And that sort of everybody's on a string defense, which I personally love to watch. I know a lot of people love to watch. I think we're going to see a little bit more of that more than, this is the guy who's going to be the secondary rim protector and he's got to do a good job. Um, 
So yeah, I, I think it's got to be a team effort. I'm looking at Jackson Hayes's like career data here, 17, 16, 20, and 13 minutes per game in his four seasons. If he needs to play 30, that's going to be a problem. Castleton, love him. Think he's going to do well. Think he's going to have a career in the NBA. Don't want to need to throw a rookie out there on a two-way for 20, 30 minutes a game. So LA needs some depth and there are guys that we're going to talk about and we can start talking about that do fit, fit that. And did you see the Rob Palenka quote, Tom, where he was talking about Hayes and that final roster or one of the two final roster spots? Um, remind me, I, I think so, but maybe I missed uh, the context. I'll paraphrase. So he talked about not wanting to replicate skill sets with Jackson. Right. And I think I've seen this interpreted different ways. And I think it can be interpreted different ways because on each end of the court, Hayes plays a certain way and there are available players that play different ways. So Hayes on offense, not a spacer. He's a roll and cut big. If you look at the rest of the Lakers, bigs, Castleton, not a spacer, not really spacer. So you could look at that and say, oh, He's talking about Christian Wood. He's talking about a Jamichael Green, who is also mentioned in the article. I think it was a Mark Stein. It might have been a Dan Wojcicki article. Biombo doesn't fit this. Castleton doesn't fit this. Like it, In that way on offense, it's, oh, Christian Wood. On defense, though, Hayes is a mobile big. And I think Biombo is a guy who then provides some of that anchor big rim protection yeah. like we were just talking right. about in a way that Wood doesn't. Wood was used about 50-50 this past season in terms of playing drop versus more mobile coverages. He was actually effective with switching. His drop was not good. I don't want him as a, as a drop big uh, personally. I, I think you, you might be able to get away with it at some times against some players, but don't think that should be his go-to. Castleton provides some of that drop coverage. but uh, So on defense, you can look at this and say, Biombo. Rob's talking about Biombo. And I don't see a guy who is both a spacer and an anchor big, like maybe a Miles Turner would have been, available for the Lakers. So I think regardless of which way they go here, and maybe there's an additional player I haven't talked about, you're probably going to get one of those two elements, but not both. And so that actually, in a way, it kind of opens up almost the whole pool of players. I think the only guys that don't make sense here are rolling cut bigs on offense and mobile bigs on defense. So like a Tristan Thompson. Um, he's kind of like one of the only guys that doesn't really mm-hmm. provide that additional dimension, but you can, I mean, I've got a list of dudes. We can, we can run through them later. There are roll and cut big anchor, big guys out there. And there are some spacers out there. And I, I wonder like to you, Tom, do you think it's more important to have that extra dimension on offense with the spacing big? Or would you rather gr- like grab a like defensive anchor rim protecting, uh, you know, lockdown in, interior presence that isn't a spacer. Do you think one end of the court is a bit more important than the other? I, I mean, I think the the whole conundrum you're in is is the regular season playoff dichotomy there, where I think mm-hmm. just somebody who can sp- space the court and kind of play a team defense, uh, not get cooked, and you know, not depending on them to be the only room protector with AD on the court. Uh, that's the ceiling that is kind of like so intriguing with a guy like Christian Wood, who is obviously good at other things as well, um, is is why we talked so much about the ceiling that they can get to on offense with a guy like him next to AD shooting, you know, 37, 38, 39% on three on like four attempts a game, Christian Wood. 
and you know ad's barely shooting one over the last couple seasons so mm-hmm. um they can flip flop offensively defensively at the four and five and kind of cover for each other um in their roles and yeah looking at some of those um those pick and pops from wood uh with luca and some of the sets they ran tim um all the the double drag and you know the three-man action with lebron wood and ad um I think that's the ultimate ceiling, but I do understand how like a rim protecting, you know, big like Biombo who's who can block on help and block in in primary coverage can be, you know, that's that's a real innings eater, I think, is more that's Mm -hmm. more of a practical plan to me than Hayes is an innings eater. I think Hayes, if you want to develop that and have that upside for the playoffs to have a mobile big, that's great. I don't I still struggle to see how he can stay on the court on offense, but that's way down the line, you know? Yeah. Well, and with Biombo, I, I think the style of guy like anchor big, rolling cut big, like plug and play, that could be an innings eater. He's played 14 minutes a game the past two years. He's like 31. He hasn't played over 20 minutes a game since like before LeBron was a Laker. It, it's been a little bit, and I don't know that the upside for minutes is there with him. With Wood, I see that upside with minutes. And I think you bring up a good point on regular season versus playoffs. Something that's been a topic for years is once you get to the playoffs, you're generally not playing lead ball handlers who can't shoot pull-up threes. There aren't too many teams like that. So you need to be able to do more than just play drop. And we kind of we kind of saw this. You need to be able to switch or you need to be able to hedge or ideally you're able to do each of those LA faced the team in Denver in the playoffs that if they were to hedge against, you know, that's been something Denver was weaker at attacking, switching and the drop, they were pretty good against. And LA just didn't have that extra card to play, having that guy who could be more mobile in the playoffs and then rely on that team defense now that you have better rotating on the roster. I see that as making sense in the playoffs, whereas in the regular season, having that drop big is more of a default coverage Though, I guess you also want to look at the rest of the team. What are we doing with everyone else? What are we doing with Hayes? Is Hayes a drop big? Probably not. Is AD going to be a drop big? Or are they going to use him more mobily or a mix? I-, I think if you're the team, you want to try to figure out a strategy. You want to have all options available, but you definitely do want to have an 82-game plan that makes sense. And then if AD does go down, you're not needing to drastically change your game plan. So if he's going to be used in drop, it makes sense to grab someone who can play some drop. So there's so many factors to consider. But uh, I, I think there are a couple clear candidates, and each of them have their pros, each of them have their cons. One that I guess we can cover first is Bismack Biombo. We, we saw some of the film on him just, just prior to us jumping on stage. We know he's disruptive defending the rim, but like, what else? I feel like that's the one thing. With a lot of these guys who try to simplify it, it's like, all right, he can defend the rim. Good. We like that. Um, what else, though? Yeah. He plays big. And, Right, mm-hmm. he plays. He plays the that role uh, with the physicality. Right, I think you said he had a great great contact finish rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, something he can bounce off of the guy after getting the role. I mean, yes, he had Chris Paul and Bucker. He had some great passing the last couple seasons, but yeah, he's somebody who uh, can high point. You know, not gonna like fly over the top like someone crazy athletic, but he can catch lobs and you know, high point those balls and come down balanced and, and use that athleticism and size and physicality mm-hmm. as a identifying, yeah, attribute, right? 
Yeah, and, and that's something that I think he used to be a little bit better at, and it's getting worse, but it's still at a point where it's it's certainly serviceable. Uh, his So offensively, with off-ball shot making, so others creating looks for him, any, anything where there's potentially an assist, he had a D-minus grade for his off-ball shot making, an F grade for self-created shots compared to his big man peers. Um, he's been offensively used as a roll and cut big, or he was for nine seasons in a row. And then this past year with Phoenix, he was used as a post score. And that doesn't mean he was never rolling. It doesn't mean he wasn't getting dump offs, but he was used much more frequently as a post score than he was used to. And we saw that culminate with his def- with his offensive impact being really, really, really low at F grade minus 2.7 points per hundred possessions. That's really, really low on defense. Or, I'm sorry, on offense. And if you know if you have a defensive guy that bad, you're like, we can't play this guy. He was that bad on offense. And this was a little bit of, you know, out of the ordinary for him. As a roll and cut big, his average over those seven seasons was a minus 2.25. So about half a point per hundred possessions better in a role that made more sense for him. Still not very good. Uh, his finishing, that contact finish rate, pretty high. Uh, he has had A plus shot making. Or I'm sorry, A plus shot quality, A plus shot quality the past few seasons. A lot of those clips we were just watching. He was getting like pretty open dunks. It was great sets combined with really good screen setting from him, I, I will say. And he was able to, Chris Paul, good pace in ball screens, Devin Booker, good pace, just drawing two, letting him da- get downhill and then just finding him. And once he catches, you know, a foot in front of the rim, he's going to finish well. And so even with D and F shot making the past two seasons at the rim, he's still putting up good numbers just because the shot quality is so high. So I, I think if he's getting worse looks, he's going to look a lot worse, but as long as you're able to continue feeding him, he'll look fine. Um, for reference, Jackson Hayes, Jared Vanderbilt, pretty much right next to him. When you plot out bigs, uh, post scores and roller cut bigs by shot quality and shot making at the rim. So he's right about in that same neighborhood as those two. He'll continue getting good shots. It will, I mean, the efficiency even underperforming will still be good. It'll just be a little bit below what the Lakers could have if they give it to someone who's a better finisher. Um, F and D plus stable put back efficiency. So inside, it's like, it's not a strength of his, but those are easy enough shots that like, it's okay to me. Um, it, it's it's good. At, like, it's fine. Spacing wise, there's, there's really nothing there. He's had three, three, he's t- attempted three threes in 12 seasons. Uh, he's got a little bit of a floater, not really any mid-range game. His floater shot making was an F um, compared to his peers. So that's not really, you know, something that he's adding to the table. From an offensive rebounding standpoint, he's had D and F grades pretty much across the board compared to his peers the past two seasons. Playmaking, F grades, that's just not not his game. Offensively, I'd say, like, his one above average big man skill is his screening. He had a B-plus grade the past two seasons. And otherwise, he's, he's fairly limited. So it's going to be, like, plug him into really good roles, and feed him easy shots and he's going to underperform a bit but it's going to be fine um but there's a reason his his offensive impact is as low like these the teams he's been on when they plug someone else in they given the same opportunity they do much more with it now defensively this is where he's he's able to hang his hat he's been an anchor big pretty much his whole career he had a couple mobile mobile big years thrown in there but he's been a drop coverage big man not good in mobile coverages, and that is something that will limit him if you want to go in the playoffs and play this guy. This is someone that, against Denver, despite being a big body, he was only able to play 24 total minutes in that series. And 
his defense was part of this. It's just you can't you can't play drop coverage against a lot of guys, and that's all he's really going to be able to give you. Now, from an impact standpoint, he'd averaged a uh, plus one point four five points per hundred possessions above average prior to this past season. Um, and the, the five years prior to this past season, he was at a plus 0.72. So he used to be better. Past couple of years, he's been okay. This year, he had a career high plus 2.9. Um, like one of the most impactful big men in the league defensively, about double his normal average. And I think that's probably not going to continue this upcoming year. His interior defense is a big part of that impact. And we see a similar thing here where his defensive field goal percentage at the rim versus expectations. So when he's contesting opponents, they shot 14.5% worse against him than second spectrum would have expected them to shoot. That was third best in the NBA among guys with 500 minutes or more. That really, really good. Like super elite, up there with Giannis. Prior to last season, his average was 7.9%. So he about doubled that. The past five seasons, it had been 7%. So should we expect him to be twice as good as his norm again? Probably not. And if not, his defensive impact probably falls back down to earth. And I mean, I'm you know going through all this to say like there are things he's good at. He's probably not as good as he just showed us, and that's likely why he's still available right now. He's a big body, not the best post defender though. He's solid rotating. He's solid in drop. Limited on defense, offense very limited. Perimeter defense, uh, C plus, C minus, perimeter ISO defensive ratings among anchor bigs the past two seasons. So that's not too bad. He wasn't asked to do it much. And his defensive rebounding was also pretty poor. D's and F's across the board, including his box out grade. So there's, I don't know, there's that one thing he's good at. And I think that's, there's a reason that's the only thing people are pointing out when they talk about him is because the other things he's doing, he's not been good at. And there's a reason he's available right now. Yeah, if I recall, he was signed like mid-season by Phoenix like two years ago, right? And there was a reason for that. And and then I think maybe Eaton got went out at some point and, and Chris Paul just like helped make him, you know, like a 10-10 guy or like a 12-12 guy. Just like they did not miss Aiton. Um mm-hmm. And so I definitely feel like, you know, having a guy like Chris Paul and Booker and then Kevin Durant there at the end as well. Um just helped him, but I don't know if it's going to apply the same for LeBron for AD at the ceiling level. I I do like Biombo, and I think he's a guy who who will probably get scooped up here eventually. Once maybe a couple other people, you know, get some injuries here or there. But I don't. I, do you think like does the sign of what the Lakers have collected so far at the five like tell you anything about how they want to play? Just are they gonna? I know I've asked you this like a million times. I'm sorry, but it's like, <laughs> can, can we expect them to only play drop having added a guy like Jackson Hayes? Like, that's where I feel like we're gonna see some something a little bit different, uh, this year. Yeah, I expect to see something different. I, I think we're gonna see something closer to the 2020 2021 Lakers team with Marcus Saul and who was they have Keith on that team, like they uh, Drummond was on that team. Uh, Damian Jones was on that team. That was the group where they were catch hedging. They were soft hedging pretty much the whole season as their default. And I expect to see something closer to that this year. They've assembled not just the big man talent. I think looking at the the guard and wing talent they've brought in and how strong those players are at rotating is a really big telltale sign. If they didn't 
want to do this, they could have brought in guys like they did last year who like, hey, other teams might care about this. We don't need to because we're not going to ask them to do this job. They brought in those guys that can rotate. So they're certainly able to, and they've shown that they, to me, they are showing that they want to be able to. I still think they probably want to be able to play drop and they can certainly do so with AD. Castleton can certainly do so. But yeah, no, I think Hayes, you don't go get Hayes unless you understand what he's good at. The same way, you know, you don't go get Damian Jones unless you know what he's good at, but they didn't. And I'm just hoping they're not making the same mistake twice. So I want to believe, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I I mean, I also still think like if this were me, like I'd go get Biombo and Wood. Like go get go fill all 15 spots, have the options. If one guy pans out and the other doesn't, you can cut him. But I, I don't know. They they have to have some bigger picture strategy. And I think that strategy does involve being more mobile during the regular season than we saw last year. And I think switching is part of that as well. And that is certainly not something that you want Bismack Miyampo doing either. But it's something Hayes can do. It's something AD can do. It's something if you play LeBron or Rui at the five, they can do. Don't think that's Castleton's bread and butter. But again, he's a two-way. So I don't think he's going to be in the regular rotation. So I think they want to be able to do a lot. They don't – just what they want to do over 82 games is still sort of TBD. They haven't fully declared one way or the other. But this last roster move will tell us that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about maybe we try to go into Christian Wood here, Tim? Are you ready to tell the world uh, about your stance on Wood? Oh, yeah, Tom, I'm ready. I'm ready. I... I am seeing a lot of rationalizing about why he hasn't been signed yet. And <laughs> yeah. I'm hearing all of the things. Oh, well, he doesn't try. Uh, he's a bad teammate. He's not, he's horrible in defense, like a, just a corpse. Just the what I, I going into his film, looking at his data, I was expecting to see like a bad basketball player. That's not what I saw. Um, I understand he's played for seven teams in seven years. That can sound like a red flag, but you know, don't be lazy. Dig dig into it. What? Why? What? What? What's the path there? What's his story been? He had four teams in his first three years when he was getting like 250 minutes or less each year, trying to find a spot on the team. He was just not NBA ready coming out of college. Go look at his his NL, uh, UNLV data. Look at his G League data. Look at his early career NBA data or his film. He wasn't ready. And we can't, in good faith, say yo the fact that he wasn't on one team and the fact that he was bouncing roster to roster trying to find a spot in the league is evidence that he's like a bad dude or wasn't trying. 
he just wasn't there yet. Is is Alex Caruso a bad dude and, and wasn't trying because he was bouncing around looking for for an opportunity? Like it's that part. I want to dismiss that. From that part moving forward, he's been with three teams in four seasons. He had a breakout year, 2019-2020, with Detroit. He was legitimately really good. The coverage on him was positive. Detroit was like, we want to keep him. I'm not sure if we can keep him. That was all the coverage about him. I went through all the articles. I was looking at the podcast. He ended up choosing to sign a three-year, $41 million deal with Houston. That was executed via sign and trade. Detroit ended up getting Isaiah Stewart and Trevor Reza, who they then immediately flipped for DeLon Wright. So pretty good work on Detroit's end. And Detroit, two days prior to Wood's decision, had signed a three-year, $60 million deal to go after Jeremy Grant. So it's not like they were just like, you're bad, we're going to let you walk. They ended up making some good moves as well. I think how they go about that tells, tells us a little bit. But from everything I can tell, they did want to bring him back. Now, the next season he was in Houston, he was the second best player on that team behind James Harden, but then Harden was traded earlier in the year and the team was bad. Defensively, his impact that year was really solid. And this is something that I want to point out. It's, he has not been a bad defender every year, all the time. And I know, you know, bigs to guards, bigs and wings, not always equal from a defensive value standpoint, just role wise, but his defensive impact that year was in the Danny Green, Dwight Howard, Alex Caruso range for the Lakers title team. He was legitimately solid and looking granularly solid in a number of different ways. And so at this point, he's gone from barely in the league to getting three times his career earnings at that point in one season, being paid more than just about anyone else on the roster and was their second best player. And with Harden then gone, he was maybe their best player, maybe their second best player, um, but on a bad team. Next season in Houston, he was their best player, but the team was super young, was not good. Then he was traded from Houston to Dallas, and, and why? And I didn't just try to say, you know, come up with what I think right now. I, again, went back and looked at articles. I went back and looked at podcasts. Here's Here were the reasons that they, from a reporting standpoint and an analysis standpoint, at that time, the reasons why he was moved to Dallas from Houston. The first thing was his age did not fit their timeline. He was going into his age 27 season. Nine of their top 10 guys in minutes that, that year were 22 or younger. Does it, he just didn't fit. It didn't make sense to invest. Yeah. It, like Keep him around. So that's a factor. Another factor, some of those young guys, Shangun, Garuba, those are two guys that at that point in time, they said, we need to get these guys more minutes. We need more opportunity for them. This is a guy that's going to play well, but he's going to take reps. He's going to take shots from these guys, and that's not necessary. We don't need that. So that was the second reason. It's not just they're young and he doesn't fit the future. It's that he's stifling the future by being there um, to, at no well, fault of his own. You can get something for him, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and they did. They got another first rounder in the process of trading him, and they ended up getting some some you know better players as a result for their long-term future. They were also like – about to pick Jabari Smith in the draft like a couple weeks after this. Uh, they also were able to set up a bad team, a worse team, and tank for Wemby. This was part of the analysis as well. They ended up getting Eamon Thompson. Um, so all those are five reasons right there that from a basketball standpoint, I don't care about any of the off-court stuff. There were legitimate reasons to go about this. This was not some bizarro move where it's like, well, why do you do this? Oh, it must be because he he's, he sucks or he like doesn't want to practice. But then I did find a few articles mentioning, mentioning that he's probably not the best, you know, the vet presence in a room of 19 to 22-year-olds. Um, he had one situation 
where after one of the Houston assistants was, was yelling at guys in the locker room and chewing guys out at halftime, he didn't want to play in the second half. One of his teammates left the arena altogether. It was not a good day for the team, and he was not a uh, calm, cool, collected head in that situation. That was the example that was that was sh- shown um, as to why, hey, maybe he's not like the best veteran presence to have around these teenagers. But those were, you know, the reasons how he got to Dallas. And then what happened in Dallas? Let's. Uh, so what I did here was I looked through, I googled Christian Wood on Google. I went to the news tab and I set the uh, the search parameters month by month in the season. So I started with October. And uh, the October headlines were Wood playing like a sixth man trophy front runner. Christian Wood has emerged as the second best player on the Dallas Mavericks. Those were two articles on the front page there in November article on the 19th of November Mavs Christian Wood adjusting to winning basketball. And it talked about how he's playing better defense and how he's really given him a boost uh, tweet uh, on the 20th. So this wasn't an article, but a tweet was a footnote from the Mavs bizarre loss to the Nuggets. Christian Wood played a season low of 17 minutes, and people were really upset about that. And then an uh, article on the 29th, is there anything Mavs Christian Wood can do to start? And this was, uh, I guess, the beginning of the why the hell isn't this guy starting conversation? Because he was just outplaying the other bigs they had. In Denver, I'm sorry, in December, in December, still playing very well, uh, still should start. Dallas needs to make a call on his extension is kind of the the theme here on the 6th of December is Christian Wood being underutilized by Jason Kidd on December 21st. The Mavericks must make a decision on Christian Wood with regard to his extension on the 27th. Christian Wood is playing his best basketball and Mavs are reaping benefits. He was playing well in January. It's continuing. Mavs want to keep him trying to figure the extension out. Uh, He, you know, then he started, He, he began starting. And then he got injured. So on the 1st of January, Doncic appreciating Wood, who, quote, never gets mad, quote, end quote, if Luca yells at him. And they talked about their camaraderie and how they love playing together with each other. On the 4th, Christian Wood, Mavs talking extension. Dallas expected to explore trade if no deal is reached per report. The Mavericks have won seven games in a row with Wood starting. And it talks about how if they don't, if they can't sign him to an extension, they don't want to lose him like they lost Brunson in free agency. So they would want to move him. And that was them learning from the prior year there. On the 9th, Dallas must convince Christian Wood to sign his extension. On the 17th, quote, we like to keep him, end quote. Mark Cuban speaks on Christian Wood's impact since Mavs trade. On the 19th, Mavs big man Christian Wood sidelined with fractured thumb. So he was playing great, wanted to start him, wanted to extend him. Then he gets hurt. Um, He got into the starting lineup prior to getting hurt. The team was going on a roll. Then he gets hurt. Uh, February, they didn't get an extension agreed upon. And then it's looking like he's going to walk in free agency for more money is, is the narrative here. Uh, he comes back from injury. Wasn't playing as much February 6th. The, the article reads, uh, or the article was titled titled Mavs Christian Wood wins chime community spotlight for January, 2023. Just a little side note there. Uh, February 7th going shopping Mavericks evaluating trade market for Christian Wood, Tim Hardaway jr. February 14th, Christian Wood will quote almost certainly end quote, leave Mavs and free agency. And it was based on a lack of playing time. He went from playing 34 minutes a game in January to 19 in February after the injury. And it was like, all right, we, we couldn't extend him. Now we're not even playing him. Like we, we started him. He was playing a bunch. It was working. And now they're not playing him. And then in March, the, uh, everybody started turning on Jason Kidd and it had been, there were some, some, you know, points in this earlier on, but in March, on the 6th, Christian Wood's lesson role makes little sense for Mavericks. On the 10th, Christian Wood among three players Mavs must play, says NBA analyst. 
looking at all 30 teams. March 12th, Christian Wood getting less minutes doesn't make sense. March 12th, Christian Wood versus coach Jason Kidd. Can Mavs overcome conspiracy to save season? And it was an article about like them trying to figure out why the hell isn't he playing? He's been playing better than these other guys. JaVale McGee went on Draymond Green's pod and gave a quote. uh, If you actually understood the business, like if you took the time to actually learn the business, your outlook on it would be totally different. Green set of fans and media speculating on player situations. Quote, you'll certain you'll see certain things going on. You'll better understand them. You'll understand guys' rotations. All of a sudden, this guy isn't playing because he's on a contract year and a team wants to lower his number because they can get away with it. And there was widespread speculation. This was about Christian Wood and the Mavs not playing him on purpose because the season wasn't going well and they wanted to be able to keep him around. Then in April, he uh, on the 6th, Jason Kidd sends a message on Christian Wood after Mavericks beat Kings and the message was about how he played good defense Credited him, credited him with the win, and then the Mavs benched him in the last two games of the year when they were purposefully tanking. Or if you remember, like they were trying to make the playoffs, and it was like, oh no, we can't, and absolutely just you know tank for those final two to get a better draft spot. Uh, April twelfth, Mavs quote want to keep Christian Wood, but is dynamic big man tweeting goodbye? And he had tweeted out, I want to thank everyone in Mavs fans, especially for their support this season. Dallas has a special place in my heart. Back to the grind. Um, and then I looked at the end of season grade for Mavs Moneyball. He got a, a B grade and they said he played like the $14 million he was getting paid. So month by month, I wasn't seeing, wow, this guy's an issue. Wow. This guy is horrible for the locker room. Wow. This guy is not trying on the court. It was, he's playing well. He needs to be starting. Oh, he is starting. We're doing really well. Oh, now we need to extend him. Okay, crap. We couldn't extend him. We need to trade him. So he doesn't walk like Jalen Brunson. Um, and all of that stuff and, uh, some, I guess some extra Tim Cato from the athletic, uh, who covers the Mavs on an inside Mavs pod shared that the coaches didn't want him when the team traded for him and that it was more of like a salary dump move and that they tried to trade him immediately after they had acquired him. Um, so just from the start, and this is something that like fans speculated, like the coaching staff just did not like the guy or did not want to play him. Um, Tim Cato talked about on that pod, the funniest outcome would be a team with better coaching than getting him and getting more out of him. Uh, he said the right setting on defense with the right setting on defense, he can be okay, but the maps didn't have that. It's exactly right. Playing next I to a guy like Bam most- Adebayo was yeah. the example he provided. Yeah. I think that the fact that he just doesn't make sense, like in a closing, like high caliber lineup with Luca is like evidence enough. Maybe they didn't want mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I, I just schematically on defense, it just didn't make sense with the roster they have. On offense, the picking and popping, like it, you saw, we saw on the clips, like it worked fairly well. He's not the same like lob threat that like a Dwight Powell is, um, but like he outplayed Powell, he outplayed Javale. Like, I, it was a really bizarre situation, and I think in trying to rationalize things, people were saying like, well, maybe he just was awful in the locker room. But the only the only examples we've gotten around that have been from years ago, like the example where he, he didn't want to play in the second half or he missed a COVID test, uh, the, the bubble season. Um, or maybe it was the, the following year, but, but more in the height of COVID it's to me, things have just gotten a bit hyperbolic about how, Oh, well actually he wasn't good and nobody liked him. Like, no, Mavs really liked him. They, they, you know, the end of season analysis was he played like a $14 million player. Um, I, I just, I don't know, man. 
There's there's more. And that's just the narratives. That's not this is before we get into any of the actual analysis, just looking at what were the narratives on him throughout the year? Because right now the narratives on him don't match month by month by month what we just read through. And I think that continues into his defense. Uh, they, they were talking about, and I think part of this is just people's perception of him. The reputation is that he's this horrible defender. And so every time he's going to a team and he's not horrible, they're like, oh, wow, he's figuring it out. Whereas like in reality, this, this past season on defense, like I don't think he was any better than the prior year. I just think people's expectations were too low. And Twitter, I don't know, Twitter's not the most reliable source for some stuff like that. He's certainly bad in some areas on defense. In others, he's he's good or okay. But he is just not the corpse I was expecting to watch. And we see that in the granular data, in the impact data. Um, looking at the interior defense, looking at the percentage of shots at the rim contested and how often uh, he guards fives you can kind of see like, all right, when guys, when players guard fives more often, they're able to contest more at the rim. When they guard guys, you know, fives less often, they contest less at the rim. It's kind of a role thing. He's above the curve when it comes to how off, how active he is defending the, at the rim. So that's good. I think that's good. Compared to mobile bigs, he had a B minus rim protection grade. Solid. Um, looking at the percentage of shots contested at the rim and the defensive field goal percentage versus expectations on those shots, he's in a good spot. I plotted it out. He's right next to Jared Allen. Xavier Tillman, Nick Richards, Nick Claxton, Clint Capella, Isaiah Hartenstein, Al Horford, and Anthony Davis. Like, he's not an elite rim protector, but he's worlds away from being the horrendous rim protection protection that LA saw with, like, Thomas Bryant. And I just think, you know... You know, he was lower than AD on this, but he was close to AD in this. And and I just... There's more here than I think reputationally... And, and Tom, there are areas he's very bad on defense, but in terms of just like being able to actually rotate and, and contest shots and, and disrupt shots, we could do a whole lot worse. He's not bad. Diablo's better, but it's not like this guy is Carmelo Anthony trying to defend the rim. And I think fans would be pleasantly surprised and we'll probably see articles about, oh, wow, the Lakers coaching staff is getting him to be a good defensive player and all this stuff just because expectations are crazy, crazy low. Now, somewhere that he has gotten much worse is his post-defense. He had a B-plus grade in the 2019-2020 season and the following season, then a C-plus and a B-minus. He had an F this past year. We know he can be better here. He was bad. We know he can be better. From a defensive rebounding standpoint, he's going to be an asset. This is somewhere that Hayes is bad. Biombo's very bad. Gabriel's not good here. Defensive rebounding. Woods crashing and, you know, winning of, of contested boards is solid. A minus grades in both of those compared to his peers. His box out rate, box out rate is low. And this is an area that for the Lakers, like it's actually higher than most of the Lakers players this past year, just because LA didn't box out much at all. And it was really frustrating to me. And then like watching the finals, you're like, wow, look, Miami's boxing out all the time. Denver boxes out really often. LA did not do it much. So it's not like differentiatingly poor compared to the Lakers team. And, but I also wouldn't expect it to be better unless the Lakers coaching staff is, is coaching to it, which they weren't. Um, it was low versus anchor bigs versus mobile bigs, but not for the Lakers roster. So this is, I don't know. I think this speaks to if Ellie wants to coach to this, they should be able to hold him and others accountable. Um, his defensive rebounding talent grade of a B minus against anchor and mobile bigs is exactly where JaVale's was the title year. It's not dominant, but it's, it's pretty good. And 
I think from an impact standpoint, just with how Powell was a better rebounder and how he didn't box out much, whereas the other Mavs guys boxed out, you know, the team was worse from a rebounding standpoint when Wood was on the court this past year when he was that sole, like, anchor big. And I just don't think that's a great way to use him. But I understand how within the context, he was very negative there and that contributed to the team's defense being worse when he's on the court. <laughs> I want to say that, like, I did. I didn't expect, uh, you know, the McBasketball Defense Council to show up here, but <laughs> um, you know, Ms. McBasketball and Sons uh, can rest assured um, their defendant has has been well defended. Um, You're on. <laughs> look, look. I agree with most of that. I think there's also, you know, all kinds of narratives and stuff that pop up with all, all the social media, 24 hour news cycle, kind of. A, you know, evolution of the, of the game. And I think what Draymond mentions is, is fair and true. Um, I also say, you know, being not being people in the league or, or, you know, having direct contact with people in the league with the relationships on the Mavericks, like it's hard to know, right. If a guy's just a dick, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's not, it's not like an awful thing or he's horrible to work with. He's just kind of a dick. It's not, it's just reputations get around slowly. Um, but Tim, I will say if he's a $14 million player, like there's some GM that is eventually thinking about if, if he was worth that, like genuinely, I think he could get it. And my, maybe there's a reason we don't know about. Um, but I also think guys get squeezed out of value all the time uh, in this league. So. I'm more inclined to think that he is kind of falling through the cracks here with value and uh, is is in in line for the next Lakers rehabilitation process. Yeah, it's at a min, like at a minimum contract, there's only upside here. Like if he, with all of the, let's say all of these things are true and he's got these faults and he's not working hard, he still was, uh, according to our math, a $10.5 million player last year. And Bismack Biombo has not and will not be a ten and a half million dollar player with how bad his offense is, even with his defense being, you know, having an outlier good year this past year. Just the, the upside is just not there with him. It's not there with these other guys that we'll mention. It's there with Wood. And this is with us knowing that there's probably additional untapped potential. But like as a person living in Texas who is a former former da- uh, Mavs partial season ticket holder who, you know, can go drive to games and lives in Dallas. He like the perception wasn't this guy, you know, stinks. We need to get him out of here. It was the whole year. Like this guy's pretty solid. This was a great grab. You know, we need him to start. Why isn't he starting? Once he started great, we're doing great. And then he got injured. And after he got injured and around the same time he got injured, there was no extension reached. Then all of a sudden, like the minutes piece shifted, but for the rest of the season, it wasn't that way. And in Houston, it wasn't that way. And in Detroit, it wasn't that way. So I don't know. He's played in one winning situation his whole career. I don't think that's his fault. And at them in, I, th- I think this is worth a shot. Looking at like even his help defense, looking at, you know, again, looking at the trend line between what guys' jobs are and how often they're helping, he's above the trend line. He's helping more often than we would expect. From at a perimeter defensive standpoint, he, uh, let's see, he was a better on-ball defender than LeBron, which, you know, not a high bar there. Uh, D-plus versus rotation anchor and mobile bigs. It had been a C-minus and a B the prior two years. So it's been better. It was bad. 
Uh, he had been used as a switch defender 25% of the time this past season. How does this culminate on defense? His overall impact was not good this past year. The three years prior, as a mobile big, his D-LeBron value, that defensive impact, was average. It averaged out to be just about exactly average for a mobile big. And in two of those three years, he was above average. So he's this horrible, horrible defender that can't do anything. That's just not, that's not reality. And he had a bad year this past year. The seasons before that, he was, you know, just, he wasn't an anchor big. He's not a drop coverage big. It's kind of the same sort of thing with, uh, I'm going to make the Jokic comparison in that Jokic hasn't been a good rim protector. Therefore, the perception of Jokic's defense by many is that this guy can't guard. This guy cannot defend. Wood also similarly is not an elite rim protector, but he's been good in some other areas. Rebounding solid. Rim protection actually okay as a four. Pretty strong as a four. As a five. Perimeter ISO defense is okay. Post defense, bad. It's been better. If he's not a five, it doesn't really matter. His drop coverage, not the best way to use him. His mobile coverages, uh, I have more comfort there. And he's got a bit more mobility. He's got some athleticism. But, like, I don't know. I think it's fair to ask questions. Like, can the Lakers successfully bring in a guy who's had issues buying into a smaller role? This is something that there's there's been speculation about. And, Tom, I don't know if you – if, if the, the listeners remember, this was the Dwight Howard situation. When the Lakers acquired Dwight, do you remember how prior to coming to L.A., it was this guy needs to stop being a post scorer. He's not that guy anymore. And L.A. got him yep. to buy into a role. Yep. So we've done that. I, like, you know, memories can be short, but L.A.'s done that. And they did that with Frank Vogel, who, you know, doesn't have the commanding presence that Darvin Ham has. So maybe, maybe he can do an even better job. Other question you can ask, can the Lakers bring in a guy who's had character questions? Well, yeah, they, they did that with Malik Monk. Malik Monk wasn't available because he wasn't good at basketball. Malik Monk was available for other reasons. And the Lakers took a risk. They took a gamble on a risk and brought a guy in who had questions that teams, several teams were like, we will not touch this guy. We don't think he'll be able to be allowed to play in the league um, if he slips up one more time. And LA took that gamble and, and it paid off. This is a different situation than what Malik had going on, but in Dwight, I mean, to a degree, same sort of deal, but this isn't new territory for the Lakers. Um, understanding there's a floor and a ceiling for each setup. I'd say LA's better set up to win a title with, with Wood than Biombo. And I don't want to compete for titles at this point. You want to win titles. And I think you have to chase ceiling to a degree. And even with all those things we talked about, Wood was generating $10.5 million worth of value. That's Reeves generated $10 million this past regular season. Dwight and JaVale, the title year, were eight to the eight and nine million dollar range. As some inflation, it's probably around where where Wood was this past year. So I don't know. If if you think there's there's more potential there, take a look into it. And like, yes, he hasn't played in the playoffs, but I don't know. Once you get past what is it, like eight months? Uh what eight month olds have object permanence. So if if anyone's struggling with object permanence, <laughs> give it a couple months and you'll be able to see things yeah you'll be able to think through things you haven't seen before um i i don't think it's you know insane to try to project how a guy who can play mobile coverages and space the floor and potentially can play alongside ad offensively could work in a playoff environment that's my pitch i hear you i hear you and that's a very 
a very detailed pitch. Um, I was already and that was of, only defense. Yeah, yeah. I I think that look that was that was great. Whether or not like he's gonna come here for the minimum is another question, right? No. So I want to ask you that when you reduce it down to the minimum, then it's basically any team can sign him, right? If they have a roster spot. And, you know, it's like in 2K when you you have the guy at the set, the, the best free agent available, but he asks for way too much money. So no one signs him. That's not mm-hmm. happening here. It's if everyone has the opportunity, are the Lakers the best team he could go to to possibly give himself uh, future value? I think you could certainly make that pitch to him. I think the team would want to make that pitch to them. And it's a pitch they've been making to players for years. Austin Reeves. Had a couple good seasons. Just got a nice shoe deal. Uh, Like Malik Monk, Nick Young, like a lot of guys come over and they're able to play well in a, on a big stage and get a lot of love for it. And then end up with a lot of good, like marketing opportunities. There's the basketball side and then there's the business side. And in both ways, the Lakers make sense. He might be able to be that, that Marcus all style guy that could play alongside an AD. That makes sense for the team. He, has the ability to do more than just play drop um, or, you know, he's not the drop guy, but he, he in theory could play in a playoff environment. Like there's stuff basketball is that makes sense with him. And this is a title contending team, especially if he's over there. And to me that, that has value. So yes, I, I would say so. And I think offensively, there's also a ton of opportunity. You want to, I, I know we're, I think we're running a little over time. You want to play a quick game? Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Real All right. Quick. Uh, between the wings and bigs for the Lakers last season, tell me where Christian Wood would rank in O LeBron. So offensive impact per hundred possessions, regular season. Where do you think his offensive impact last season would have ranked among Laker guards? Or I'm sorry, wings and bigs. Wings and bigs, second. Mm-hmm. Uh, third. He would have been behind both AD and LeBron, but okay. he had an A minus. Those two guys had an A plus. He had an A minus. Vando had a D. Prince had a D minus. Or I'm sorry, among this season's guys, but for last year's data, Reddish, Christie, Hayes, and Rui all had Fs. Um, I know Rui played much better in the playoffs. He did not play well in the regular season. D, D minus Fs is is the wings and big group that the Lakers have. And among their guards, they don't have the, the most stunning data either. Wood would be the third best guy. From a finishing standpoint, how do you think he would stack up against uh, the rest of this roster? Mm. third yep you got it so again lebron and ad ahead of him reddish with a b grade uh wood with a b plus prince with c minus vando and rui with d's hayes a d minus christian f he would be a nice ad here he can roll he can pop he's been an elite roller he's been an elite popper he's been i mean he, he had 67 pops or ghost threes last season he shot 43 percent he, had, he was fourth in the entire NBA in pop threes and had the best shooting percentage of any of those top guys. Oh, by the way, 1.7 points per possession on rolls. 1.4 points per possession on slips. Elite pick and roll guy. Uh, really solid there. How about three-point shooting, Tom? Where do you think he would rank there? Um, Off the top of my head, I'll say second. Okay. That's pretty close. This is our, our, with a three-point shot-making grade. He would have just edged out Torian Prince and ranked first. Uh, with an A minus, mm. Prince with a B plus, Christie with a B, Hayes with a D minus, AD Reddish, Rui Vando, LeBron, all with Fs. Of course, again, 
really shot better in the playoffs. Uh, also, by the way, he had an A-grade mid-range shot making, would have been behind only AD last season. AD had a really nice mid-range here, by the way. Uh, how about, well, all right, I, I, it's it's a lot of the same. Overall shot making, he would have ranked third as well. Uh, stable efficiencies, A-plus for post-ups, A-plus for rolls, A's for spot-ups, A-minus for putbacks. Lots of good stuff. His gravity on ball has gone up and up and up his his career in the NBA. It's up to an A minus. That would be the highest for any non-AD center the Lakers have had in the LeBron era. His off-ball gravity has gone up and up and up. It's now at an A minus, would be the highest among any center the Lakers have had in the LeBron era. It, it was much higher than where Marcus Saul was. His playmaking peripherals across the board above average for a big. Like he the one thing he really, really dropped off with was his screening, his screening talent. How well he's you know making contact on screens went from an A to an F the second he got paid. That to me is one area that really matters and is something he has not been good with, but is certainly something that is fixable because we know he's been good at it. He's got a big body. This is his technique thing. And I think part of this might be scheme related as well with how often Dallas knew they were going to face a hedge. They didn't really need hard contact. They wanted him to get into that pocket to catch a ball and i think that may have impacted how this metric was calculated so i'm not as worried about that but certainly an area he can get better so i don't know offensively i think he's more than just like oh yeah he's pretty good he'll put points up this is a team that could use some offense this is a guy that could space the floor he could pick a pop he can post up mismatches he can roll really well he can just do so many things on the offensive side of the court. He can actually be a, a good playmaker. If LA realizes that, oh, crap, we're not going to be an elite pick and roll, high volume team like some other teams, and we need to find a different bread and butter. If they wanted to lean into the more like five out dribble handoff, you know, get cuts and drives and rolls and, and catch and shoot threes like Denver has, like Golden State has, like Sacramento has, all different ways, but it's all a lot of handoffs. He's one of those guys that you can have running offense like that. AD can as well. Those are both top 10, top 12 center playmakers this past season. So offensively, he's not just good. He changes what you're able to do and adds different, multiple different dimensions. So I don't know, man. This is to me a no-brainer. Like, go get this guy in the min. It's just a matter of if he'll buy into the opportunity or not. All right. Well, I'm excited to add Tristan Thompson to the team in that case. <laughs> I think it might happen, man. I, <laughs> I'm so. Uh, and he's the one guy that doesn't make sense with the the Rob Polinka quote about wanting to not duplicate skill sets. Like, uh, as good as those seven plays were against Denver, like, man, he'll make it make sense. Mm. He'll find some metaphor. Yeah, I would really not like that move. Wenyan, I, I I understand if you can't get these other guys. Like, okay, I get Wenyan. Um, but I, I think, yeah, if they don't make a move here in the next couple of weeks, I feel like it's, it's probably already going to push to training camp. Yeah. And part of that too, is like, Wood is in a position now with Chicago using the, the cap space they had to go get, um, who they got, they got Io DeSumo, I think, um, or was it someone else? I'm, I'm mixing everybody up, but they just, they had space potentially to go get him. They don't anymore. LA from a spending power standpoint is in a good spot, but there are still some potential trades that might take place with various big name players that could shake things up and might open up 
some money for him. So he's in a position now where whether he signs today or he signs a couple of days before training camp, he's probably going to still get the same amount of money. Now, he doesn't want to sign during the year and get less money as a result, but he should be patient and take his time and kind of wait for the dust to settle or see if anything else will come up with any of these other potential trades before signing on to a minimum contract. As a guy who he knows he's worth more than a min, we know he's worth more than the min, but things didn't work out well for him. And this was part of, I mean, looking at the center landscape going into free agency, we saw not team, not a many, te- not many teams with money for centers. We saw a lot of centers that their teams had high incentive to bring them back because there weren't good alternatives. And we saw only a couple teams that made any sense for wood to spend money. And, you know, in theory, he could have even been a cap space guy, but like Orlando doesn't really fit their timeline. Could have made some sense. They don't have much spacing. So he would have made sense in that, uh, in that way, but it wasn't all that unpredictable for him to end up where he is today. But I think it's certainly an opportunity for whoever scoops him up. And again, if it doesn't pan out, you can cut him or, I think part of the the Dwight thing where it was like, yeah, he's he's not buying into a role is like he'd been getting paid a bunch of money and he used to be that guy. Now that he's not that guy and he's getting paid like not that guy, it's easier to to you know self-reflect and understand the situation you're in. You don't have that power anymore. It's you're not getting paid the first, second, or third most of the guys in the locker room like Dwight had been and Wood has been. He would be in a different stage of his career needing to buy in. It's basically a contract year again. Like you need to buy in and you need to do all those little things that we've seen you do before when you did need to earn your money. Give him that opportunity. And that combined with being in a in a winning atmosphere, being able to be held accountable with these coaches that for every other new acquisition, Lakers fans are like, oh, well, just let Phil Handy, you know, get to this guy's jump shot or get to this guy's handle or get to this guy's career navigation. What about what about Christian Wood? He can get better with some of these things too. So it's easy to talk yourself into him making a lot of sense. And I don't know, from a basketball standpoint and from a like tracking what the actual narratives were with him standpoint, I don't see the red flags that Twitter had me being afraid of before I did any digging in. All right. Well, let's leave it there for now. We can continue this uh, the rest of the week, tomorrow and Thursday. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for joining. We'll play the outro here, Tim. And, uh, you know, hit us up with a five-star review uh, in your podcast player of choosing. And uh, send that to us on x.com, I guess. Which sounds weird. <laughs> Um, I, it's going to be like, no, 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 Tom, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. This is, this is going to be like a Staples crypto situation. Send it to us on twitter.com, uh, slash whatever yeah. our, our handles are. And okay, boomer. Yeah. We will get you into the, the discord and continue the conversation. <laughs> I had some really good conversation today. And in the past couple of days, I had this content prepared. I mean, thank you, Tom. I appreciate you. You just let me rant for like an hour. Um, it's all good, man. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the defense rests the defense rests uh and <laughs> I, I this is probably better content than the like four international players that that the audience hasn't heard of or hasn't heard of in a couple years that i plan to talk about tomorrow um <laughs> but yeah hey, get man. in that discord say it's late july like what else are we doing what else are people out there doing they're giving away stuff and on other playback rooms to try to get you to come <laughs> so you know uh, just come no, here hang out have a good time maybe we'll watch the uh 
the Winning Time trailer together. Um, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. When does that start? When do those come out? I think it's August 6th. It's the first one. Something like that. Interesting. Y'all let us know. Would you you be interested in uh, content around that? Yes yes or no? Absolutely. But uh, sorry, back to the Discord. You can get in there. There are different tiers within there. Uh, X's and O's core stuff, bonus pods, extra channels, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, shout out to Court Prowse and TJ Timotaji for being arena sponsors. Shout out to Zach Harris, QDaddyO, iPod Shuffle, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Doppel, and Romario for being in the owner's box, as well as to the shout out to the Courtside and Liverpool crews. Check out uh, the link in my bio on Twitter, and you'll be able to see the different tiers and what they provide. We're going to be revamping that a little bit this offseason. Got some new fun stuff coming up that Tom and I need to talk about and strategize on, but we want to make sure it's the best place to be from a Laker conversation standpoint. And as Twitter or X or whatever it is continues to crash and burn, uh, it will remain a a great place to talk about Lakers basketball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We'll hit play on this video here. So you guys came in late. We can watch it. Um, But until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. Have a good one. the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done